Life Community is located in Gilbert, Arizona. You can learn more about us on our website at lifecommunityaz.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Oh, good to see my wayward friends from Saturday night in East Bayside. I wondered where you were, and now you're here. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Okay, guys, I've got so much to say. I've been waiting weeks to do this series, and I just settled it. I'm going to do one series, uh, I mean, the whole series on one, in one Sunday, so four hours later, you will get out of here. Not really, not really. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God and what the name of the series is, Kingdoms in Conflict. And the reason I'm, I'm doing this series, it's uh, because, well, number one, what, when I understood the kingdom of God personally, what it meant for me uh, absolutely radically changed my life 45 years ago. I was raised in church. My parents are both pastors, and they loved the Lord. They raised me in Sunday school. I went, I read the Bible as a kid, all that kind of stuff. And I went to Bible school, got educated somewhat, and, and i tell you what, and when I was a young pastor, probably 25, 26 years old, a guy in our church helped me understand this, and it radically changed my life. So I'm going to take the next several weeks and talk to you about it. It's, see, the, 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 the truth of it is, a lot of things that we believe, just because we believe them, and, and they're not true, but, but you believe them, because after all, mama did, and grandmama did, and all those kinds of things. And so tradition, nothing wrong with tradition, we all have them, but sometimes tradition gets in the way with the truth. And a lot of folks uh, have isolated bits and parts of scripture. You know, you heard a radio preacher here, maybe a TV preacher here, maybe the good pastor said this. You read a book, you read some of the Bible, and you put it all together, and it forms some really strange theology, some really strange doctrine, especially about the end times. I've heard the end times, uh, they used to scare the willies out of us. Whoever went to a church, back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, where the rapture comes, and if you're not as good as you ought to be, you're not going to the rapture. Anybody heard that kind of talk? That was prevalent, and we'd, uh, we called it rapture scares. When all the Christians we knew were gone, and we were left, we thought Jesus came and we are left. And one time I remember, uh, I thought Jesus had come, all the Christians were there, and I finally saw my little sister Connie, and I said, oh, thank God. And I thought, no, she's worse than I am. So I was still scared. And, and so and so in and, and, and the end times, it's, it's really funny. People are saying it's just a sign of the times, and I don't want to poke fun at anybody, and I'm not really what kind of do, but I'm not going to, and, uh, and so it's amazing what, uh, well, you're just a sign of the end times, and just a sign of the end times until you say, sure, I have people tell me all the time, well, you know, it just means the Lord's coming soon, and I don't want to burst a bubble, and I don't want to get into it with them, especially at the coffee shop, so I just say, sure, and so today I'm talking, and I got the microphone, and so you're just going to say, sure, anyway, and so See, they, 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 they truly missed when Jesus came the first time. You know, they're all looking for Messiah. And then when he comes, they all, the, the religious world of the day missed him. See, the, the Old Testament said uh, he's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to come from Egypt. He's going to come from Nazareth. And they could have said, make up your mind. See, the Bible isn't true because it says he was going to come from Bethlehem, going to come from Egypt, going to come from Nazareth. The Bible's crazy. Nobody knows what they're talking about. And sure enough, when Jesus came, he was born in Bethlehem, went off to Egypt, went back to Nazareth, and he's from all those places. And so God had a unique way. And so I think if they missed him the first time, they're going to miss him the second time. 
and all their theology of how it's going to work out, I have my own. First of all, guys, I believe that Jesus himself will literally come to earth someday, and, and he is coming. I'm not, I'm not denying any of that kind of stuff, but all the other stuff, I'm just saying, I don't talk a lot about it because I've learned not to talk about a lot of things you really aren't sure of. But I am sure about this kingdom of God. Well, let me just go one step farther here. Now, now when, when Jesus was born, obviously, uh, years before, this guy by the name of Herod the Great, he was a native of Palestine, and he always wanted to be the king of Jerusalem. So he goes off to the Roman war college, as it were. And matter of fact, he trains with Mark Antony. Did you know Mark Antony? I loved Cleopatra. They were from Alexandria. So Herod the Great uh, was, was a native of Palestine, gets trained in Roman warfare, and he, uh, his father was a Jewish uh, convert. His mother was Arab, so he never really could be the king of Jerusalem because he was not a Jew. They always called him a half-breed. And so what he did, he was not a nice man at all, was, but he was really smart. And so he, what he did, he married a Hasmonean princess. He goes to Jerusalem, marries one of the fine princesses there, and she didn't love him. He didn't love he liked her, but he paid him off. The dowry was huge. So the parents said, sure, take her. And so he did, and that kind of bought his way in. And then Herod was an evil, terrible man. I'm not trying to make him a good man, but he was Jewish friendly. He's, no kidding. He's just like politicians you hear today. On either side, they said, I'm one of you. I, I, I have to be from Washington and I have to go back there. But really, you're my friends and I'm protecting you. I'm standing up for you. And you want to say, bull roar is what you want to say. Anyway, and so that Herod was doing that. He said, man, I, I really like the Jews. Matter of fact, Jews, what I'm going to do, I'm going to build you a temple. They didn't have a temple that got destroyed years earlier. And so what Herod does, he literally moves a mountain, takes a mountaintop right off, creates what we know now as the Dome of the Rock and where the temple was actually established. And Herod built it for him. He says, guys, I want to do you a favor. You got this good religion and, and, and good for you and I'm happy for you. He's not Jewish, didn't believe any of the stuff that these Jews believe, but he knows how to work the system. So Herod builds him this big temple and then he uh, puts his fort right to the side of it. You know, like one-stop shopping. Go to temple, come to the fort, Antonio Fortress, and pay your taxes. And Herod had this thing down, and Rome did not care what you, you worshipped. See, they had a plethora, like that word. They had, they're polytheistic, and they had many gods, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, all the planets. They had gods, Neptune, God of the sea, and, and they had all kinds of gods. And they felt sorry for the Jewish people because they were poor. They only had one God. Maybe they should save up until they could get a second. The Greeks, the Babylonians, they all thought, poor Jews, they're just, they're just poor, so they only have one God. And so Rome did not care who you worshipped. They did care who your allegiance was to. They said, worship whatever. Get your own God, family gods. We don't care, but you're going to obey Caesar. And so he was, he was, Herod was sometime, somewhat Jewish friendly. And then think of the Christmas story. And again, this is speculation. This is, I like to look at things with business, things with government, and not take sides and all that kind of stuff, but try to figure out and try to understand how the deal really works. Is anybody curious about that kind of stuff? You hear what gets said, and then you wonder, I wonder what the backstory is. How many know there's always a backstory? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't believe that, have I got some swamp land in Florida for you? 
No, and so, and so what, see, when Jesus came and, and Zachariah's in the temple and Elizabeth is his, his wife and, and they're old people and they don't have any children, the angel Gabriel starts the Christmas story by saying, Zachariah, you're going to have a child. And Zach says, How, are you sure? And he says, yeah, yeah. And so his wife Elizabeth happened to be uh, the Virgin Mary's aunt. So she gets pregnant in her later years uh, and three months, six months, excuse me, six months later, the angel appears to the Virgin Mary, and he says, you're going to have a child. She said, how can these be? I'm, I'm a virgin. This can, how can it be? And he says, your Aunt Elizabeth is also pregnant in her later years, and it said they couldn't happen, but nothing is impossible with God. So the angel appears to Joseph. You know the Christmas story, and says, don't worry. She's not cheating on you. That which is in her is born of the Holy Spirit. And so the, the, the story progresses. They, they go to Bethlehem. The baby's born. The angels, you know, they, they, they shouted out. The shepherds come, but then who are the shepherds? No one listens to them anyway. So they, they, Jesus is born. They take him to the temple. A guy by the name of Simeon says, wow, I've seen the Messiah. This prophetess, this old lady prophetess, she says, wow, the Messiah is here. But the truth of the deal is, it was a relatively small announcement among the Jewish community that not a whole lot of people knew about. Big deals. Have you ever been involved in an office war where there's office politics going on? Anybody ever been involved in that where there's all kinds of stuff happening and, you know, and you're in the middle of it, so it's a big deal to you, but the people down the street don't even know what's happening. And you think the whole world's coming apart. Oh, my God, it's the sign of the end times. And the truth is, the guys next door, they don't even know who's mad at who and who was not nice to who and who discommit the office party and blah, blah, blah. And so that's kind of how the birth of Jesus was. Big deal for us. Yes, yes, when God became man. But the truth is, not many people knew about it because it was relatively limited to the Jewish people and really to the family of Mary and Joseph and the gang. So things were fine. And so what happens, the Magi come from the east. Now, they're not, they don't get there for about two years because it just takes them a long time. And I said once that uh, the reason it took them two years is they would met, were men and would not ask for directions. <laughs> so that takes me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, now this is the King Herod that was evil, just terrible evil, but, but it was Jewish friendly. Seeing what he did, uh, this just it, it interests me. What he did, he made a deal with the weakest link. You know, again, uh, they built the Great Wall of China to protect them and all that kind of stuff. It couldn't get over it too wide, too deep, all that kind of stuff. So what Genghis Khan did, he just bought off the gatekeepers. <laughs> Build it as big as you want to. We'll buy off the gatekeepers and so give them some more Dida, as it were. Let them in and there they go. And so they, they, what Herod couldn't get, the Jews hated him, but who were corruptible were the Jewish leaders. A new temple? You're going to build it for us and we can worship our God like we want to? Herod says, sure. You Jewish folks, boy, it's great, it's great, it's great. And they said, yeah, what do you want us to do? And Herod said, just have church and pay your taxes. See, Herod was, Rome was not interested in their religion as Nebuchadnezzar wasn't. The reason Nebuchadnezzar didn't kill all the Israelis is because he needed somebody to work and pay taxes. He's not going to kill you. You need to make them some money. And so that's what he did. And so the leaders were corruptible, as it were. And so the, after the king was born, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, 
where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And everyone says, Shh. and there's this king of the Jews. I'm the king. And he's got it set up. He died about four years later. He got it set up for his sons to be the king. And he says, what do you mean, king of the Jews? They said, well, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, to say the least. And then look what the next phrase says. says, and all Jerusalem with him. They had a racket going. They had a deal going. Shut up. Don't talk about a king. Uh, little baby Jesus. It's like people when, you know, if you're a rich person or a highly educated person, whatever, when your child is born, people say, oh, I bet he's going to Harvard. I bet he'll go to an Ivy League school. Or I bet he's going to be rich and he's going to be uh, whatever, a movie star. He's going to be just like his dad and mom. And, and so they say that. But what they said of, of, of where's the king? And so he was upset about this whole thing. Matter of fact, he kills all the baby boys, two years and, and younger, just to make sure that no one's going to take his place. And so uh, Herod was this terrible, awfully man. And so the, um, they said, uh, where's this guy that's born king? The Magi started to stir up the king talk, and that's where all this thing got started. But it didn't get started in God's mind then. It got started in God's mind in Isaiah. It's not in your bulletin, but let me read it to you. Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. See, God was after his kingdom all along. That was from the, in the very heart of God. The government will be on his shoulders, and of the increase of his governments, there will not be an end. It doesn't mean it's just going to last. It's going to grow and grow and grow of the increase of God's government, there will not be an end. He will reign on David's throne forever and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And then he goes and says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, from the birth, from the get-go, the Magi brought it in and stirred it up but God's plan was not just a savior to be born, not just a healer to be born, but a king would be born. Because that's what he came to do. He came to establish not just a bunch of folks that kind of like each other and going to go to heaven when they die. He came to establish a kingdom. That's why I've referred to it as the kingdom complex, the heaven complex, the heavenly complex. It used to be that when you get saved, the only thing after that, well, you get baptized in water and then the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. But the only thing after that is you die. And then you get to go to heaven. And the trouble was, sometimes people got saved and wandered off and, and, and before they died. And so what somebody came up with, what they ought to do is get them saved. And you, are you a Christian? Yes. Did you ask Jesus to forgive your sins? Yes. Have you invited him to your heart? Yes. Shoot him. Because then he goes straight to heaven and you have no backsliders. Now, that's the way to get you there, but it's hard to get converts if you think that guy might have a pistola behind his back and, and, and get you. And so, uh, and so this, but the kingdom of God is not some church ritual. It's allegiance to the king. It takes me to my number one point. My God, he's been talking all this time and he's not even gotten to number one yet. Number one, the primary message of John. Jesus and the early church was a coming kingdom. See, John the Baptist came in Matthew 3, came preaching in the Judean desert saying, repent, for
for the kingdom of God is near. What John meant, he had an instant, humongous ministry. And thousands came to listen to him, and he was preaching the kingdom of God and a ministry that lasted just barely a year. All of John's life for that one time, and it lasted barely a year. Thousands were coming. They said, John, tell us. And he says, the there's a kingdom coming. And he says, the, the guy who's in charge of this kingdom, I'm not even worthy to undo his, his sandals. And so then Jesus comes along and, in Matthew chapter 4, and from that time on, Jesus began to preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Now put your hand out there. That's how close the kingdom is. Not when and then, not out there someday, and boy, one of these days when you get old and sick and die, yeah, that's the kingdom. No, 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 no. He says the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It has come to you. What? Yes, that was his message, his primary message. See, the tra travesty of Christianity is the focus has been on what do you believe? Do you believe right? Do you believe wrong? What's your doctrine? And before, sometimes you could even be a member of a church. What do you believe? And do you believe this, this, and this? If you believed all the right stuff, then you could get in. And if you didn't believe all the right stuff, then you couldn't get in. But nobody seemed to care about your behavior. How well do you love? Well, not very good, but I believe the right stuff. See, in the tragedy of Christianity, or the end times, they believed about the end times, and all kinds of stuff goes around, and that's not what Jesus was focused on. The focus was not just to get you to heaven, but the focus of Jesus to get you to the kingdom of God. Is there a difference? Yes. When you get old and die, or whenever you die, or however that worked out, I plan to make heaven my home. When I was a little kid, we went, did you ever go to a church where they had testimony service? Little churches, and, and I remember there were three or four of us, and we'd sit on the front row. It was testimony time. You could count on all three or four of us. Some guy wasn't very good, so we didn't let him in the club. But if he was good, then we'd stand up and say, I love the Lord with all my heart, and I want to make heaven my home. Pop, sit down, and the next kid would stand up. I love the Lord with all my heart, and I want to make heaven my home. Because that's all the goal we ever knew, is to go to heaven. I mean, who could ask for any more than that? But that was not Jesus' message. Jesus said... Uh, he says, when, when you pray, pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, or hallowed be thy name. Honored be your name. Then what's the next phrase? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think Jesus taught them to pray? Because the more prayers you get, the more chance of it happening. So I can get all these people praying, your kingdom come. Jesus says, come on, help me out here. Pray your kingdom come. Do you think that was his thought in, in praying your kingdom come? Or could his thought be that my heart would be aligned with God's goal? Pray your kingdom come. So that my will would be in alignment with God's purpose. He said, I've got a kingdom that I want to bring to this earth, and I want you a part of that. And so pray that God's will is done on earth like it is in heaven. Jesus used 39 different parables to talk and to explain. His whole message, guys, was this is what the kingdom of God is like. He used 39 of them. He talked about the sower that went out and sowed it, and this different seeds fell on different seeds. The kingdom of God is, is like a hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. He says the kingdom of God is like a, a son that, that wasted it, 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 the prodigal son. 
He says the kingdom of God is like, and he tells the good Samaritan story. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And there's 39 of these things that Jesus spends most of his ministry explaining how the kingdom of God works, what it's like. Read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the gospels. He tells them many, many times what the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God or heaven 90 times. Now, when you read Matthew, he always says kingdom of heaven. He was a good Jewish boy, and they weren't allowed to use God's name. So instead of saying kingdom of God, he said kingdom of heaven. They are absolutely interchangeable. You could say kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We say kingdom of God. You could just as easily say kingdom of heaven. If from a Jewish tradition, maybe you wouldn't want to say God because that wouldn't fit your, your style. But they really are the same. And so the message of the, of the first church was the resurrection of Jesus was to verify the truth of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is more than my savior, my friend, my healer. The truth it is, Jesus is my king. He is my Lord. To him I have sworn allegiance. He is my God, which is a whole, he's also my friend. And thank God he's my savior. And thank God when it's time for me to die, he'll take me to my heavenly home. But there's a whole lot of living between the two. And if you've not enjoyed that, uh, I think you're missing something. So the message of the first church, they preached the resurrection, resurrection. And they said, you know, that guy that was killed and everybody saw it. Then he rose up and over 500 people witnessed this resurrection because we want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Before Jesus, after the resurrection, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gets his guys together, and for 40 days, he taught them. And Acts 1 says what he taught them was about the kingdom of God because that's what their ministry is going to be. Paul talked about the kingdom of God from the synagogues, and he would persuade Jews with strong arguments concerning the kingdom of God. And in, and in uh, Matthew 28, it says from morning till evening, Paul explains the kingdom of God from the law and the prophets. They didn't have the New Testament, so he was explaining how the kingdom of God works from the Old Testament. That in the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be the supreme mountain. That there was a, a stone made without hands, as in Daniel's dream, and it crushed all the other kingdoms of this world. And so Paul is talking about the power and the influence that the kingdom of God has before the New Testament was even written. And so... Paul explains the life yet to come. He's not denying it. 1 Corinthians 15, he explains what it's going to be like, the resurrection and all that kind of stuff, and he's not denying it. It was just not his focus because the kingdom of God is going somewhere. So as Jesus is here and he's talking to people, doing miracles, talking about the kingdom of God, I tell you, the tension between he and the Pharisees and the religious leaders starts to mount. And they first just didn't like him, and then they hated him. And then when after Lazarus, remember Lazarus, uh, died uh, Mary and Martha's brother and Jesus was four days getting there and they said if you had to come here on time my brother wouldn't have died and Jesus I know that that's why I'm here four days later so the funeral was over Lazarus was a very popular man and it was in Bethany just seven miles out of Jerusalem so everybody in the main city as it were the home office they knew about Lazarus and that he was dead stone dead four days dead and Jesus comes and calls him out of the tomb wouldn't you like to have been there? Lazarus, come forth. And this guy, dead guy comes out of the grave. And so everybody heard about it. And who else heard about it was these religious leaders. They didn't like him anyway. 
and they go nuts. And they said, my God, we're losing our crowd. Momentum has swung. We need to do something about this guy. If we don't, he's going to take our place, and then, and then we're going to lose who we are. We're going to lose our little side gig that we have with Herod, and so something's got to happen with this. And so they go nuts with Jesus. They knew they were losing control, and so it takes me to point number two. The Pharisees' charge of blasphemy morphed into sedition. So in, in Matthew 26, is there in your bulletin, it says the high priest said to, to Jesus, so they bring Jesus in. They're going to do this trial. And what they had, well, the high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under the oath by the living God. And Jesus could have said, oh, you mean my dad? He didn't go there. Tell us, just tell us. If you are the Messiah, the Son of God. They were hoping to trip him up. And Jesus says, well, you've said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on clouds of on clouds." Of heaven. He said, You betcha I'm the Son of God. I am Messiah. And they go ballistic. The high priest tore his clothes. They just drove him nuts. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? See, they had already hired the best. <laughs> they had hired false witnesses to try to, you know, I think I heard him allude to that one time, and I'm not sure he said it, but I think he said it, and I think he said, and they asked Jesus straight out, and he says, Yes, I am. My God, he's spoken blasphemy. We don't need any more witnesses. Boys, you heard this yourself. We don't need any more. Look, now you've heard blasphemy. He's worthy of death. And everyone says, yes, yes, death, kill him. But the truth is, Rome wouldn't let him kill him because they're under Roman occupation. <laughs> and Rome didn't care. Oh, he's out of doctrine. How many know if you go to the Chandler court and says, I don't believe they, they uh, preach a four-square doctrine. The court's going to look at you and say, you're weird. You're bringing this to court because someone doesn't believe in whatever it is you believe in? That's the way Rome was. We don't care if this guy thinks he's God or not. Who cares? And so what they, they understood that, and so they changed the charges to make them stick. I'm no cop, but I live with one, nor am I a detective, but you get the charges that are going to stick. And so... Uh, Pharisees changed the charges uh, from a moral issue to a legal issue. Look at verse uh, 20, chapter 23 of Luke. Chapter 23, verse 1. The whole assembly rose and let off Pilate. And look what they're saying here. And they began to accuse him. We found this man subverting our nation. He opposed paying taxes to Caesar. It just hurts us so bad. Are you stinking kidding me? You're that upset because he won't be, which is not true, but that's, and he claims to be Messiah, a king. See, Herod, I mean, excuse me, Pilate knew the small office politics, small-minded office politics that these guys were going through. They, he knew that these Pharisees were jealous of Jesus because Jesus had a crowd going. At him. He didn't care what you believed. He just had a crowd going. These guys were jealous over it. People were listening to Jesus, not the Pharisees anymore. They were losing their place. Pilate knows all this. So they bring him to Pilate. Pilate, uh, he's doing these terrible things. Doesn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. Like, who does? April 15th, a hot dog. It's a time to support my uncle. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> so Jesus brings Pilate in. I mean, Pilate brings Jesus in. I knew somebody was coming in. No, Pilate brings Jesus in, and he says, uh, this is in John 18. I'm not going to read it. He says, uh, so are you a king? Are, are you the king of the Jews? 
And Jesus says, if my, my kingdom is not of this world, but if it were, my servants would be here fighting that I not get arrested. So Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus says, for this purpose was I born, and for this reason came I into the world, that I might bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, this is enough. Uh, it's kind of strange. Uh, and so uh, he says, how about you go see Herod? See, he was the governor. Herod was the king, and so Herod was in town. Go see Herod and see what he's got to say. So he goes and sees Herod, and Herod, and everybody had heard of Jesus. Not many had seen him, but it was like the, almost a circus act. They were aware that Jesus did these miracles, so Herod was hoping to see some magic. And so he takes him to Herod, and Herod says, hey, it's good to see you. I've heard all about you. Go. Jesus stands there. Herod asks him some questions, and Jesus won't even answer, much less do any of his miracles or what Herod would think are magic tricks. And so he wouldn't, uh, didn't respond, and so Herod said, this guy's crazy, sends him back, but Pilate, I appreciate you sending him over, and they became friends that day. So there was some political expediency for Pilate by sharing Jesus with the other big boys, sends him back, and so when he comes back, Pilate's wife steps in at some point and says, uh, Pilate, don't get involved with this guy. I've, I've suffered a lot of bad things, and this is not good. Don't you judge him. Don't you get him. On and on it goes. And he says, just, just be nice. And, and so Pilate, and then these Jewish people get more and more upset. More Riots start to break out. And not that Pilate was afraid of the Jews, but how many of you know when you're the boss, you can't kill everybody all the time? And that's why they didn't want to kill any more Jews than they had to, because that's less taxpayers. If you're the boss, how many of you can't fire everybody all the time? You may want to, but you can't. And so, and so Pilate is, is, is getting a little nervous. He's starting to lose control, and this is not good for Pilate politically. So what Pilate does, Pilate washes his hands to it. He says, I want you to know, they take the big basin out there and wash his hands. I have nothing to do with this from now on. So Jesus comes back, and, and Pilate asks him. Pilate understands by this something's happening. Pilate says, where do you come from? I'm in Luke 19, read it when you get home. Pilate says, ask Jesus, where do you come from? Jesus gives no answer. Pilate says, you refuse to speak to me? He says, don't you understand that I have the power with the stroke of this pen to crucify you or release you? And Jesus says, bud, you would not have, I don't know if he called him bud, but he says, Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority over me if it wasn't given to you from above. He didn't say, who's my father, but he could have. And so Pilate, from that point on, tries to look for a political expedient way to set Jesus free. They do the whole Barabbas thing, and they said, no, 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 give us Barabbas, kill Jesus. This crowd is going nuts out here. And so the crowd starts chanting, if you let this guy go, you're no friend of Caesar's. This guy's claiming to be a king, and Caesar's our king. And this is sedition straight up, straight out. And, the, and for Romans, you claim to be a king and you are a dead man. And so Pilate comes out, shall I crucify your king? And they yell, we have no king but Caesar. And they sent him away to crucify him. Number three, God's ultimate design for his kingdom is glorious. Now I'm going to spend the next weeks talking about this. But the outcome of God's kingdom is absolutely glorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, speaking of talking about the end times. 
what Paul says, what's going to happen when all this thing is said and done? Then all said and done. He says, verse 24, then the end will come. When he, speaking of Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he's destroyed dominion, authority, power, for he must reign until, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then he goes on to say, and the last enemy is death. He is going to reign of the increase of his government. There will not be an end. Isaiah says, and God's going to accomplish this. I'm not, for those of you that are online that may, or even here, I'm not talking kingdom now that we're going to get better and better and it's just going to morph into this wonderful world. No, I don't believe that. I think things are going to get worse and worse. I'm an optimist, but I'm not stupid. Right. And, but he says, after he's put all things under the dominion of his feet, all authority, all uh, power, all, all dominion, because he's going to reign until all these things are hap have happened. And Isaiah says the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. Jesus said it another way. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And I learned a long time ago I can either join or I can be passed over. I've seen lots of people with the opportunity to join. And they said, ooh, that could be costly. That could be political suicide in, in my particular denomination or my particular structure, in my particular thing. I, I'm a Christian, love Jesus. Yes, we do. How we love Jesus? How about you? No, no, no. I realized that I could, I could uh, be passed over that quickly too. To be part of the predetermined plan for the kingdom of God to fill the earth. Revelation eleven fifteen, speaking of the end. There were loud voices in heaven proclaiming the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. I don't want you to say, in the end we win. No, the truth it is the kingdoms, when God is done with this, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And God alone is the one. I don't determine when this happens, how it happens. God does. He said, I put all that stuff in, in, in my bank, not in yours. And prophecy isn't about how to try to figure it out when it's going to happen. He says, you're wasting your time. No offense to anybody spending lots of time doing that. The truth of it is, God says, that's up to me. And I'm smart enough to say, that's up to God and not up to me. But that's what's going to happen in the end. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to. I got a license to preach. Hang right on my wall. Number four, the kingdom of God is not a location, but a condition of the heart. Amen. Pharisees come. This is the earlier days when they didn't hate him so bad. The Pharisees came in, in Luke 17, and the Pharisees asked uh, when the kingdom of God would come. You know, I got a little time now, Jesus. Oh, wait, get, get, when's the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus answered and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. He said the kingdom of God doesn't come when you get the right opportunity, when things are just right, and when you get enough schooling, when you learn a little more. He says the kingdom of God is not going to be a place where, okay, it's here, folks. Come on over. Everybody, we got the kingdom of God. He says, no, 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 it's not like that. 
It's not like you can go to the right church, too bad you can't, or the other church, or the spirit-filled, or the whatever church. It's not like that. He says, because the God's truth is the kingdom of God is not out there in one of those other places. It's not at a place at all. It's right inside of you. It's within you. It is the kingdom of God. Whatever goes down, Democrat, Republican, China, Russia, the kingdom of God is in you. It's not when we get rid of those, I'll tell you, they're ruining our country and they're doing this. And you probably so, and, and you're right. But the truth it is, the kingdom of God is not out there. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus says. So, I bought an umbrella yesterday at Walmart. Five. Pastor, isn't the Bible say you're not supposed to open an umbrella in church because that would be... No, no, that's, that's, that's superstition. That's not the Bible. Sorry for those of you that were kind of banking on that one. <sighs> Paid extra for the automatic. Now, oh, I, without those lights, I guess I need to show my face so the lights could... If I had this, this umbrella, and if it's raining out here, it's not raining in here, but if it were raining, if I were outside and it's raining... I can just take the umbrella and put it over me and protect myself from the rain. And I wouldn't say completely and stormy. And here I am protected underneath the umbrella. That's like the kingdom of God. As long as I'll get under it and stay under it, I'm protected from all kinds of stuff. But if I'm going to stay under it, it means i got to submit to where this thing's at. And I learned long enough that I'm holding the umbrella. Obviously, it's going to go where I go. But this umbrella doesn't follow me. I have to follow it. If it starts to wander, if I had somebody else holding this, it starts start wondering, I'm not going there. You're not going to make me go there. Then get wet. <laughs> get rained on. Let the devil beat you with a lead pipe, and you're going to get under the umbrella. They're not going to... See, and, and, and there's different parts of our life, isn't there? There's just not the church part. Oh, church part, yes, yes, get your umbrella up. Yay, yay, church. No, 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 we're not talking... Our lives are made up of multifaceted aspects of our life. How many of there's a sexual part of your life? No, not me, pastor. No, sure. And... And parts of your life can be under his, the dominion, under his rule, under his reign. And have you ever known somebody who's just a great person, but boy, they're just as loose as a hoot owl. And the sexual, I'm nasty as a hoot owl. They just, they're, just, they're just sexual part of them, just destroys everything about them. And so they're under the, Lord, under the Lord's dominion for some of it, but not that. Now, I know that's nobody here, or no, but you watching, it just may be you. you know? And it's, it's just anytime I can cause suspicion and fear, I do. Or, or the authority part of our lives. You look at a good little Christian, there you are on Sunday. I tell you what, I, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm my own boss, and nobody tells me what to do because I'm an American, and I'm on and on and on you go, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And God says, oh, yes, they are. You want under my covering, you're going to be under my rule. Oh, yeah, I'll be under God's rule, but nobody else's. It doesn't work that way. 
Or you're in the umbrella and you see all your friends and buddies over there. Well, I'd like to go do that. And God said, go right ahead. The umbrella stays here. You can go out and do all that stuff. And yeah, and yeah you, you get all wet when you do. It's like fighting a pig. You both wrestle and you both get dirty, but the pig likes it. Sorry. See, ADHD is not that bad. Thoughts come in, go out. There's a squirrel right there. Oh. So as long as I want to stay under the umbrella, the rule and the reign of God, it's going to be with me if I'm surrounded with the wrong political party. All those people, are, put your umbrella up, Delmer. The anger part of your life. Well, it makes me so mad, and if they do that again, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them, and God says, whoa, 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 whoa. See, and that's what I want to talk to you about for the next several weeks, the different factors of your life and how to bring them under the rule of God so they don't rule you. They don't get you wet and destroy your life. Musicians, come on back. I'm winding it down. See, Romans 14, 7 says the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. It's not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. See, the kingdom of God is not about, okay, we don't eat that, and whoa, we don't drink that, but we do do this. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. And we're going to do that, and we don't do this. And no, it's not about none of that stuff. It's about when the reign of God happens in your life, it's reflected in three different ways. Righteousness, goodness is a better word for righteousness, a more common word that we use, where general goodness happens. Not just when people are watching, but when no one's watching because God does something inside of you that turns you from a selfish jerk who knows how to put on a show for everybody else to a general goodness that when no one sees there's goodness happening. There's justice that is cared for. There's peace that is cared for. And then it's righteousness, peace. When all the world is going to hell, and it is. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. <laughs> but all the world's going to hell. And, uh, and, and it's not, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to heaven. No, 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 no. I'm not saying just, just apathy. There's a sense of peace. God is able to handle this. When your life falls apart, and if it hasn't, it just might someday. And I don't mean terrible, terrible, but when you go through really rough times, somehow, God, you're there. Maybe you had grown kids that go south and, and, and things happen that you didn't count on and jobs and all that. There's a sense of God's peace that passes understanding, that transcends comprehension, and it's joy. There's something in you that is just filled I don't mean giddiness and, oh, I'm so happy going to Disneyland. No, I'm not talking about Disneyland joy. I'm talking about something on the deep part of you that joy just seems to rise up. It seems to rise up. And he says, that's where the kingdom of God is. And I think it happens. Not by joining the right place, but I think the first step is to open your life to Christ. If you're here, if you're online, and you've never really done that, or you know you're living today and you've never really opened your life to Christ, that is the first step. 
The second step is to make yourself available. God, come and rule in my life. Boy, when I get it fixed up, when I, no, 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 no. Don't try to get it fixed up before it happens. It'll never happen. Jesus, come and rule in my life today. You cannot control what everybody else does, but I can control that I stay under that umbrella. Sometimes I want to get out of it and just give people a piece of my mind, and then I realize I don't have a piece to lose. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like you do. Like, don't tell me, oh, Pastor, he's so humble. <laughs> so for the next several weeks, I'm going to talk to you. The scripture is very clear about how to bring some of these factors in your life under the umbrella. It doesn't say umbrella, but it could have. Under the umbrellas, make yourself available to God. And that's not something you do in the midst of a, of a heightened decision. It's something you do out of a choice that you've decided to follow Jesus because that umbrella, bud, is not going to follow you. It's going to take you to sometimes strange places. The Old Testament, they, had, they followed the cloud. They couldn't go wherever they wanted to. They followed that cloud if they wanted to stay under the protection from that blistering sun. They wanted to stay warm at night. There was a fire that was there, but they had to be near it. And it takes a surrender of your life. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for every one of you. I'm not saying that I am perfect or that I've made it by no stretch. But I started walking with that kind of mentality years ago and it absolutely changed my worldview of everything and I long for that for every one of you every one of you watching online and whenever you see this today or some other day that you understand that the kingdom of God can rule and reign and protect you from all the evil that's out there follows your right hand left hand Psalm 91 but it doesn't come here. Lord Jesus, I pray for these dear people. Lord, for your reign, for your throne, for your kingdom, for your umbrella to protect. And with all the changes that go on in, 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 in the world that we're in, that it will not come near us. And Lord, you will keep our hearts in peace, in joy, filled with the goodness of God. I pray that for everyone listening to me today. In Jesus' strong name, amen. <laughs>